Hey, welcome back to another Thursday Night Bible Study with Heritage of the Saints Ministry. It's Apostle Glow, and we are continuing our work as we go through the Bible, taking our time to understand, to receive revelation, insight, and discipline from the Word of the Lord. This week, as we continue to explore our Holy Bibles, examining deliverance, the tool in God's hand to shape, reshape, and develop and prepare us for our destinies preordained before the foundations of the world, we will be looking in our text today around the subject of deliverance from. This will indeed be a three-part series where we do deliverance from, deliverance to, and deliverance through. In Matthew 6 and Luke 11, we learn the Lord's prayer in which his disciples say, Lord, teacher, teach us how to pray. In our heavenly prayer to our Father who art in heaven, Jesus covers a multitude of things that the man or woman residing in the earth's realm will need to be delivered from and to. What we are delivered from is from the sin of unforgiveness. What we are delivered from is from our enemies. Yeah, I said it. That prayer is a prayer of deliverance. This week, we will examine scripture beginning first in John 11 and chapter 12, where we see Jesus, the king, the epitome of what a prayerful life looks like, who went about doing good, healing all those oppressed by the devil, setting the captives free, and healing all those sick with disease. Jesus would not be able to accomplish what he was destined and preordained to do without having a heavy prayer life. Through his prayers and through the confident belief of Mary, Martha, and his beloved Lazarus, Lazarus received deliverance from the sting of death resurrection we will see that lazarus resurrection at on the fourth day versus the third which is the jewish tradition that the soul still hovered over the body was a foreshadowing and a foresight of what christ would accomplish on the cross so without much further ado let's get our pen let's get our paper and let's get ready to take note we got some work to do Thank you guys for joining us for another Thursday night Bible study with Heritage of the Saints ministry. Um, being ministered tonight are Elder Gloria Castor, as well as myself, Apostle Glow. But nevertheless, we do have Minister Marion on the line and other attendees. So it's just a pleasure to have you guys with us again this week as we continue to really just explore, deep dive, and dig in to the process of deliverance, what, um, what we can actually pull out of it to apply to our lives and help give us um, you know, some focus and positioning while we're in processes of deliverance because it's not just a one and done. There are multiple instances in which deliverance is used by the hand of God to continue to shape and reshape us, conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, bringing forth in the earth, the new creation. And 
essentially bringing down the kingdom of God here while we are still here in this present time. So Journey, if you would do us the honor, please, praying us in. Yes, ma'am. Heavenly Father, we ask that you anoint everyone on this call tonight. We ask that our speakers, that you deliver knowledge, discipline, and most importantly, your Holy Spirit through our speakers tonight. Lord, I ask that you keep us all in prayer. Lord, I hope I ask that you keep your hands on us, Lord. You know what every individual on this call is asking or praying for. We ask that you we ask that you come in tonight and just make sure that we are all in sync on your word. We ask that tonight's message not only delivers, but it penetrates us, dear Lord. We ask that you keep us here, Lord. We ask that if there's anything that we are, that are restless in our hearts, we ask you to give us clarity by the end of the night, Lord. We ask that you continue to keep your hands over anybody else that we may be praying for, Lord. We also ask, Lord, in due time that you grow this ministry, Lord, and that everyone who participates in this ministry always leaves anointed. It is in your name and all these blessings we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week, we um, our sessions on deliverance pertain to the delicacies and appetites that, while we're in this world, may be eroding our spiritual well-being and, at worst, could be detrimental to our spirit, our souls, and our bodies. We examined in the Old Testament, Daniel 5, where we looked at the appetite of the succeeding king to Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, his drunkenness and his irreverence for the articles that were housed in the temple being mishandled and misused and abused because of his exalted mind state, one which was of pride and of arrogance. We further examine Proverbs as well as Ecclesiastes seven through nine to see how Solomon the wisest man to walk the earth as the Bible states, how when his appetite for certain delicacies changed or were influenced, how it also changed not just his well-being and ability to properly rule a kingdom, the kingdoms of Israel, but how it also reflects through Ecclesiastes 7 through 9, instability in his inner man. Lastly, we observe the appetite and the delicacy of the king who was sent to earth to implement the new kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. We look at the son of God, Jesus Christ, how his appetite and his delicacy was to always feast on heavenly things, so much so that he was drunk on heaven and fed with manna from the father. 
this week we will continue our work in deliverance. So as we continue in our exploration of our Holy Bibles, why does God have the instrument of deliverance for his people, his children, the believers and the followers of Christ? We must remind ourselves that all sin has weight and their weight are, their weights, should I say, or the weight of sin, um, because he doesn't make any delineation between them. Sin is sin, whether it's a lie, whether it's thievery, killing, adultery, gossip, they all hold the same weight. So deliverance as an instrument in the hand of God, it's all about the eternal weight. It's, it's not just about how and what we're living while in the earth, because as believers, we know we go on to life with him on the other side, depending on if you've made the right choice about who you would follow, who is your master. So do not be deceived. The eternal weight of sin, this world's less pleasures, which are put upon you as burdens because that's what the enemy does. He, he makes it look attractive. He makes it look, you know, it's just not that bad. He makes it look pleasurable in the short-sightedness of engaging with sin, but it holds eternal weight that when you're before the scales of justice, fairness, and the righteousness of God, your deeds will be weighed and you have to account for those things. So I'm preparing this week for deliverance and the message that he would have me give. There were four terms that the Lord gave me as we've been continuing and, you know, preparing a note sheet. The four terms originally, which he gave, were travail or travailing, enmity, Holy Ghost. Originally, it was apostasy or the apostate and forgiveness but just before getting online he changed apostasy or the apostate to forbearance travailing what is the travail or the travailing Travailing as the Strong's Concordance relates it are the pains associated with labor and birth. Associated with labor are different emotions. 
some of the emotions that go through women in that moment, the water has broken and the baby's about to come. Um, there might be a little bit of fearfulness. There's definitely some pain most times as Genesis 3, 10 through 19, our, our disobedience earned us the pain and labor. Sometimes bringing the baby into the world is hazardous, not just to the baby, but to the mother as well. But of course it's the joy afterwards, which keeps us as women bearing children being fruitful and multiplying. Further examination in my Strong's Concordance, because I was really just trying to find a concise conveyance of travail. I looked up labor. And what the Strong's Concordance says about labor is that labor okay, hear me now, can be physical or mental effort. It can be physical or mental effort, which means just like the athlete who is training and trying to push back where his body wants to stop, just like the mother on the birthing stool who wants to stop, but the baby must come through the world. It's that mental effort that helps you to overcome what physically would want you to stop. Michael 4.10 says that the reward for enduring is that joy, the new birth and the new life. And Michael 5.3 says it's the redemption. Our next term, Holy Ghost, he, he sometimes gets overlooked. He is the third person of the triune God because he is three persons in one. Nevertheless, the same man through and through. The Holy Ghost is a man. He speaks, he breathes. He is the force that remains in the earth as the Father and Jesus are in God's holy habitation, the throne of God. The Holy Spirit is the helper that Jesus promised he would send since he would be departing from the world. This promise is inherited upon the confession of salvation, the Holy Ghost filling you, as Elder Caster said. So upon our confession of salvation, Romans 10 and 9, we are filled with the Holy Ghost, thereby no longer being subject to demon possession, but we can be afflicted by the oppressive, depressive, or suppression of evil and wickedness the intertwining of the holy spirit with our spirit for the accomplishment of god's divine will in the earth is predicated on renewal of the mind daily that's romans 12 and 2 as well as obedience training through god's written and 
that spoken word through the pastors, the preachers, the prophets, and the apostles. The Holy Spirit guides you in all truth. That means there is nothing lacking in what he reveals to us. We might not get all the details, but he'll give us the truth that we need to guide us, keep us in alignment, and to lead us to the other side of what we're being delivered through. He also ushers us into the deep things of God, illuminating the mind with revelation, insight, understanding, and inspiration through the Holy Spirit. He speaks, he teaches, he comforts us and helps our infirmities and strives with sinners. Now that's great news because it's only God who knows the heart of a man or a woman. Some of the other um, more specific things that I think are very edifying for us as we continue to develop and commune with the Holy Ghost because it's going to take communion with him for your deliverance. The Holy Ghost gives strength for extraordinary ordinary task. So when we're talking about something that's out of the ordinary, above the laws of this world, um, defying what people believe can't be done, when we're talking about the impossibilities, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders of God, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the strength for these tasks is the Holy Spirit who helps us speak up for Christ to actually be witnesses evangelizing the message of our savior. Only he can give you a change of heart. Yes, he may test us, but his presence in us is what ushers in God's kingdom. And when we're talking about God's kingdom, we're talking about God having being the king and having his dominion in our lives. We are the, the clay that was shaped from the ground in which he put his breath into. So as clay coming from dirt, we are earth. And being that we are earth, he can have the dominion over us. He makes our reform when we're talking about change. And we're talking about when you've seen the change that's lasting, because as we all know, when we try to do something by ourselves and for ourselves, it might last a little while, but that lasting change where people never go back, that's through communion, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us even to be able to understand our Bible, unlocking it, because we were once veiled minds, and so we couldn't even understand the bible we probably weren't motivated to really read our bibles and let alone let it read us it is the holy spirit that even urges us to salvation it is him who helped the disciples remember jesus when they thought it would be doom and gloom our lord has been crucified it was the holy spirit who helped them remember the things that he said go back over this next week and read the chapters that follow the crucifixion. 
they were down. They were hurt. It was the, the sorrow and the grief of their beloved Jesus. But Jesus and his Holy Spirit had to remind them of the things that he has said and the things that Jesus said were to come. The Holy Spirit helps bring deep and lasting peace. He is the transforming power which brings forth the new creation. So he, he has a very large role and work that he does in the believer's life. And he's available to everyone. If you have made that confession of faith, he's available to you. But we most times set him to the side because of his invisibility, or so we think. And we don't even ask for his help. Now, the Holy Spirit indwelling in us does not make us immune to temptation. However, he does guide us, those unctions, that instruction, that direction, he guides us away from wrong places. The control and his power cannot be duplicated. He gives the Christian the power they need to live a Christian life according to God's word. He is the one who helps us pray. He helps us to know God's thoughts. He makes us new creations. And sin is always trying to push him out. So sometimes what the Holy Spirit will do instead of riling us up is he is the one who will settle you down. When you're in that moment and you could be hot-headed and, and high-tempered, he's the one that sits you down. But again, that requires the reverence of God and the acknowledgement to want to humble yourself. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee that God will keep his promises. He is the one who brings unity to the church carrying out God's work in us, convicting people of their sin because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And look at that. He is the one who helps control our tongue, which has the power of life and death in it. So spending time, and I mean adequate time, with God in his word is going to do what we're seeing a lot of people face within this time, which is discern false teaching and departing from those teachers. So the Holy Ghost, if you want more regarding what Jesus says about him and the promise of the Holy Ghost, reference John 16, seven through 15. Now, enmity. Enmity, by definition, is the hostility and animosity of deep-seated dislike or ill will. The word is derived from the Anglo-French word meaning enemy, which suggests true hatred, either overt or concealed. 
So it can be either openly expressed, known, like you know what it is, or sometimes it's concealed and just held within. Genesis 3, 10 through 19, when we really take our time to slow walk through the text, it reveals that God did not curse man and woman. Rather, he implemented the consequences for their disobedience. He cursed the ground that Adam would have to now till. And due to woman's beguilement, we now have the pain and the sorrow that comes along with the travailing of birth pains. Because even as children of God, we do not escape the chastising, discipline, and correction or conviction of the father. He's a good parent. And his word says that the good father will not spare the child. He delivered the Israelites to captivity on more than one occasion. So just like how Sometimes it takes us multiple times to finally learn a lesson. The same was with the Israelites because they would turn against God's law, following after their own pleasures, intermarrying with the people that God instructed them not to intermarry with, as well as taking upon them the worship practices and um, sacrifices to gods who do not live, breathe, nor move, the idols. But he also delivered them from their captors, the oppression and the marginalization of political forces as he promised, but in his time, not theirs. So how is this possible if we are sinners or still sinning even after the confession of faith that we're delivered. And it's because Jesus abolished the enmity between the confessor and God in his flesh on the cross, which reconciles us back to right standing with God If we didn't have Jesus, the perfect propitiation for sin, the perfect sacrifice, if we did not have him, and even still when we try to do this life without God while in this world, things are difficult. The consequences in the garden teach us not to try and go at this thing called life alone. When Eve went at the tree of knowledge of good and evil alone, she ate and then gave of Adam to eat also. Of the one tree that God said they should not partake of, not even that they should not partake, that he said, do not partake. So it wasn't even a should as if it was an option. He just said, don't do it. And in the, in the midst of all these trees, the one tree that they had access to, that she had the option to eat from was the tree of life. 
So we can't go at this thing called life. You can't go at your deliverance alone because we have a cunning, sly enemy that rules this realm that we can only overcome and avoid the snares and traps laid by the omni view of God. So we know about his omniscience that he's all knowing. We know about his omnipotence that he's all powerful. We know about his omnibenevolence that he's uh, like all good. And we know about his omnipresence that he's all present everywhere at the same time. He's in eternity past, eternity future and in the present. But his omni view which we'll probably get to at a later time, is the view in which God can take a peek around the corner of time and order your steps so that you avoid the snares and the traps of the enemy. Now, forbearance, which was the term he replaced for apostasy or the apostasy, which would be the renunciation, abandonment, or total rejection of Christianity, the forbearance, just like a loan, when they allow you to take a forbearance on the loan before making a payment, or if you're in a situation of financial instability, sounds like the times today, where you can't make the payment, or the or making those payments or having to um, be subject to the note now being due would cause um, oppression um, or a hardship on you. Banks allow you to do what's called a forbearance. Sin. It's penalty required death. Doesn't matter which sin it was. If it was, if it goes against God's law, the penalty, the price that had to be paid for that is death, separation from God. As we speak about Jesus Christ and the forbearance prior to salvation, he puts the, the, the penalty that's required of us because we have an enemy standing before him that accuses us day and night. He, put, he, 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 for, he, he puts a forbearance on that penalty. It's like um, a delay of sentencing. But once you come into confession of faith, that sentence that's hanging in the balance to be paid is no longer required because Jesus stands in your place as it already being paid. So it is important for us to keep in mind that Jesus took your place when there was a balance hanging due for you because we are born into sin and shaping in iniquity. But the price is paid through Christ's crucifixion. Though we're not getting much into 
the apostate or the apostasy, one thing the Lord did speak was that I cannot deliver those of an apostate mind. It's non-negotiable. So you must believe and have confessed that Jesus is Lord and that he is the son of God who was crucified, buried, and resurrected on the third day and is now seated at the hand of God. You, you must confess that. In Luke 12, 8 through 9, as well as Matthew 10, 32 through 33, he says that, but whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. So, you know, from our real Bible readers, when we read that, we might think about his disciple Peter and ponder, well, Peter denied, correct. Peter denied Jesus three times. But upon his repentance, he gets back into alignment and thus forth preaches Pentecost and the Holy Spirit descends upon the people. So tonight we again have proof that we might have our plans, but the Lord has his. The direction of tonight's study is likely to be a three-part series where now we're looking at deliverance as being delivered from, delivered to, or delivered through situations, circumstances, physical, not physical, spiritual and non-spiritual, The Bible is truth. And so Elder Caster's introduction is just going to be further developed tonight and over the next few weeks. But this evening, our page work will be focused on delivered from. So just take a moment. No need for any responses. I just really want you guys to sit right now and quiet your minds and saturate your mind with the instance or instances you were delivered from something. Father, in the name of Son, Jesus, I pray that eyes no longer be blinded, hearts no longer be hardened, and that we come under the mighty hand of God, humbled this evening. Prepare our minds to understand what you are about to speak. Let us not be weary in our well-doing, for in due season, in your timing, you'll bring forth the harvest. Prepare these minds with understanding, hearts as good soil to receive your word as seed, and let us abound in the fruit of your spirit 
is in Jesus' name. Amen. So why is deliverance so hard? The enemy is doing what the enemy does. Get you to doubt or fall away from God. His job is to make it hard for you to reach destiny. His intents and purposes are that you don't reach your full potential of maturity. Because if you reach maturity in Christian living, you're whipping him like Christ did with the cross. In fact, you're whipping him over and over again with that same cross of Christ. Because through the confession of faith, we get partnership with God. And so we're co-heirs. We're co-heirs to the victory. We're co-heirs to the promises. We're co-heirs to the inheritance. But it's the perspective you're holding regarding your process that's making deliverance hard, just like birthing a baby. Your mindset, you're either focused on the pain or you're focused on that baby's face and the joy afterward. Your perspective, what do I mean? It's a mind thing and what you're rehearsing to yourself or out loud to others. And let me just warn you, the enemy can't meet you at a destination unless you've run your mouth about it. So watch your words. The proverb says that the tongue is like the ship, like the rudder to a ship. It's the smallest thing on a ship, yet it charts your course. Watch your tongue, watch your words. But as you spend more and more time with God, the byproduct of your intimacy with him, and I'm talking about with, with the person, with his presence, with his word and obeying him, it's what strengthens you to endure and gives you the courage you need and encourages an intrinsic thing, not of yourself, is the Holy Spirit who gives you the courage to endure, as well as the instruction and the direction that will lead you out. So tonight we're gonna start working on changing your perspective regarding the process. If we can begin to change our perspective regarding the process of deliverance, it will change how you perceive God. So this is a spiritual war. And this spiritual war can take on the manifestations of um, mental instability, mental illness. And we, we know that mental health is really, really big, but they are still trying to attribute it to external factors and negate that we have a dual existence. There is a spiritual realm that runs parallel to our physical realm. And even so, we've seen how certain emotions can manifest in our physical bodies. 
So my job as your apostle is to equip you. What are the enemy's tactical devices against you? And when I say tactical devices, we're talking about weapons. It says our, the weapons of our warfare are not what? Carnal, but spiritual in the pulling down of strongholds. So what are his tactical devices? Doubt. Try to get you to doubt God and yourself. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So he tries to get you to doubt these truths. And, and the easiest way to get you to doubt is through your ignorance, not reading your Bible. You're not acquainted with the word. You don't know for yourself. It's one thing to know of someone, but it's another thing to actually know someone. So you need to know God, know who you are, and that you are his handiwork made in his image and in his likeness. So doubt, tool number one. Tool number two, delay. The enemy tries to get you to grow impatient. Impatience is like a virus that infects and affects other fruit of the spirit. It is so hard to maintain your kindness, your peace, your love, your joy, your gentleness, and your long-suffering when you've grown impatient. So delay. We have doubt and delay. Discouragement. Through discouragement, the enemy tries to get convince you to quit. Why? Because he knows you've already won the victory. He knows it. But have you come around to knowing it yourself? Again, what are you rehearsing? He loves to parade your failures and your mistakes in front of you to make you think that's your identity. And so you need to be rehearsing what the word says about you. That I'm the lender and not the borrower. I'm above only and not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm a child of the most high God. I'm more than a conqueror through him who has loved us. What are you rehearsing about yourself? His word says that by his stripes, I am healed. Are you still speaking sickness over yourself? Are you already declaring that you're healed and whole? Because the people that Jesus went to, they got healed. But the ones who went to Jesus, lady with the issue of blood, she got made whole. What are you rehearsing to yourself? Are you rehearsing and practicing discouragement? Because one thing I can tell you about practice, practice makes progress. Not perfect, but it makes progress. Are you progressing and discouraging yourself? Or are you progressing and encouraging yourself in the things of the Lord? Tactical device number three, discouragement. And number four, denial or at least perceived denial. He tries to convince you that you've been denied the promise. No, you're not denied. 
but some promises require development for proper handling. We have a promise of prosperity, but do you have a plan for all this money? Do you have a, have you even put the business plan on paper? Have you written the vision so that while you run, you may see it? Do you tithe? Do you have seed in the ground? Because he can give you a whole lot of money, but a whole lot of money without any kind of defense? Money without the time to protect it? Protect what? What are you doing? Because it says that money is a weapon and a defense. So if you don't have any seed in the ground and God gives you all this money, what does the word say about those who do not tithe? Money is like having money in pockets that have holes in it. This is why so many people like literally run themselves into room with the lottery. They had no plan for it. So doubt, delay, discouragement, and perceived denial. Now, how does the enemy attempt to accomplish his instruments or his weapons against you? Through people materialistic things, and through offenses. Through people with depraved mindsets, those mindsets that have not been illuminated, the people you got to forgive them for they know not what they do, they're not speaking the same language as you. Okay, you didn't get that promotion. People are walking away from you. That health issue, doctors are just medicating and not curing. They're not speaking your language. You are a heavenly celestial being. Talk like one. Walk like one. There's no way you're not conforming to the image of Christ and his likeness unless you're not really hanging out with him. Because, you know, you have some people who just tap in so, so you keep them in mind for when they need something. The one thing I hate, and I, and I mean hate to do is um, give someone something and they ain't never checked on you. They know you're the person to call when they need a loan. But outside of that, it's never just a, hey, how are you doing? materialistic things he'll try to get you through your materialistic things the doubt the delay the discouragement or perceived denial don't seem like i got enough money i'm just always check to check and at the most inopportune time now your car is breaking down and that's a costly expense well I'm, he wants you to try to give up hope offenses and they're insulting your character lying on you gossiping about you why is this another tactic of the enemy so he can get you to misdirect your energy and have you too tired to fight the right things it's the lord the holy ghost and the father who are going to position you 
empower you and give you the strength and courage you need for the right fight. I remember as a, um, as a child being told to pick your battles. It didn't start to make more and more sense until you really start adulting. And when you really start adulting, number one, you come to understand <laughs> why mom is mad after a long day of work and you didn't pull the chicken out of the freezer like she asked you to so it'd be gone by the time she got home. When you become an adult, you start to understand why mom would try to tell you not to do certain things. Try to keep you from making certain mistakes. Not necessarily because they made the mistake, but they watched someone else make, make that mistake and saw where it landed them. Pick your battles. Are you busy fighting the wrong things all throughout the day that when you really need your strength to fight the right things because there's, 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 there's an enemy trying to oppress your baby. He's seeking whom he may devour. Are you too tired to pray? Have you been just so worn out giving your energy to everything and everyone that you don't even have the time to pray because God already knew what was on tomorrow, but you're not even girded up and ready for it. These tactical devices are weapons, but our word says in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So when we start to reshape our perception of our process of deliverance, it'll reshape your perception of God. Gradually, of course, and with time. But the more accounts of deliverance that you this evening begin to recall, you'll be able to start building the resume of God in your life that God is and he does what the Bible says about him with no deviations. In hindsight and with age, of course, you'll begin to see why it even had to happen that way. And that's one of the things I just simply love about being in friendship and relationship with older individuals, particularly older women, is that they are able to give me um, insight because they are so much further ahead of me that they're looking back and able to add, um, they're able to add sustenance, wisdom, awareness, and even equip me with tools for the length of days that I have not yet reached. And the accumulated wisdom is what's gonna get you through the rocky times in your life. So let's get to work. We're gonna spend the majority of our time in the Gospel of John, 
um, which unlike the synoptic gospels of Mark, Matthew, and Luke, um, I, I, I really feel that John's gospel is a birthing text. Again, we're gonna hang our hat on travail and labor, birthing. He, the, the text births what I, um, what I describe to be the autobiography of Jesus and it's being transcribed directly from the source. There are details of John's gospel of Jesus's primordial origin and his entrance through the womb of a woman, the Virgin Mary. So as we circle around deliver from, we're going to turn to John 11, beginning at verses 17, and we'll run through uh, verse 27, and then we'll tap a little bit in 12 as well. So let me share the screen just in case anyone does not have their Bible. So in John 11, beginning at verse 17 through 27, we're encountering the friends, the beloved friends of Jesus who often hosted him and the disciples essentially holding church in their home. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus um, was just across the Jordan, having just fled the threat of stoning and arrest in Judea, of course, by the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, the Sanhedrin Council those who were opposed to this message that Jesus was preaching as the son sent from God and the Messiah that was prophesied and long awaited. He delayed going to the bedside of his friend Lazarus, who is Mary and Martha's brother, the three who are his friends, he delayed going to the bedside of his friend saying that it was not an illness unto death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by means of it. And that's in John eleven four, the earlier part of our text. But after two additional days, Jesus left for Bethany, 
telling his disciples that our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him out of this, out of this sleep. And misunderstanding their master, the disciples expressed confidence that Lazarus would recover. And then Jesus had to inform them that he meant the sleep of death. By the time Jesus arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had already been dead for days. Now, the Jews, their custom, tradition, and religion believe that for three days, the spirit hovers. But Jesus, knowing this, waited so that by the time of his arrival, there be no contesting. He is the son of God, fully God, fully man. So beginning in verse 17. So when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to see Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning the loss of their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary remained sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise from the dead. Martha replied, I know that he will rise from the dead in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in adheres to, trusts and relies on me as savior will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me as savior will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed and continue to believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, the son of God, he who was destined and promised to come into the world, and it is for you that the world has waited. After this, she runs back to the house and calls to her sister Mary, telling her, hey, the teacher, our rabbi, he's here. And he's asking for you. So now Mary goes to meet Jesus, verse 32 in the place where he was. And when she saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, same words as her sister, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews who had come with her also sobbing, he was deeply moved in spirit to the point of anger at the sorrow caused by death and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, 
See how he loved him as a close friend? But then just like it would be when you have those who do not believe you are who you say you are. Some of them said, could not this man who opened the blind man's eyes have kept this man from dying? There's your people, the offense of people. And Jesus didn't allow the offense of these people to derail him off the course for the glory of God. Because we must keep in mind that Jesus is all knowing. So imagine what Jesus had to deal with being fully aware of while in the flesh. He's still God, still fully man. So Jesus again deeply moved within to the point of anger approached the tomb. It was a cave and a boulder was lying against it to cover the entrance. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an offensive order for he has been dead four days. It's hopeless. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe in me, you will see the glory of God, the expression of his excellence? So they took away the stone and Jesus raised his eyes towards heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me and listen to me. But I have said this because of the people standing around so that they may believe that you have sent me, that you have made me your representative. When he had said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Out came the man who had been dead, his hands and feet tightly wrapped in burial cloths and with a burial cloth wrapped around his face. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and release him. So then many of the Jews who had come to be with Mary and who were eyewitnesses to what Jesus had done believed in him, but some went back to the Pharisee and told them what Jesus had done. As we examine this portion of our Holy Scripture, Martha, who was, who was previously reprimanded for being so busy that she was missing out on the word of the Lord that Mary was gaining by sitting at his feet. But here we see Martha emerge as a devoted follower of Jesus who runs out urgently to meet him when she heard he was near. He wasn't even in the house yet. Both her and her sister had the same word in their mouth. So they were connected spiritually connected because at different times yet with the same God they had the same word in their mouth like-minded they were both like-minded that Jesus was well able to do what man could not do now um as Christians sometimes 
religious folk would like to tell you that um that you're being faithless depending on certain situations and circumstances as we look at the text in what Martha and Mary had to say Lord if you had been here Lazarus would not have died they're expressing disappointment that Jesus had not arrived earlier to prevent Lazarus' death. But God allowed it. So there are some things that um, we would like the Lord to prevent. And so your disappointment is okay. Yet nevertheless, they still exhibited faith that God could and would grant Jesus whatever he asked. And so we see here that you can be disappointed and not discouraged. Again, remember that one of the tactical devices of the enemy is discouragement. He wants us to quit on ourselves and on God. But here we see that what you're going through is a testimony to God's glory and, and his power. How circumstances out of your control because Lazarus' death was out of their control. Whether a doctor intervened or not, the circumstances were out of their control. But circumstances can be out of your control and God can overrule it. And that's John 12, 9 through 11, what the delay here, this perceived delay was perfect timing for God. What man would say would not be granted to Mary and Martha and Lazarus, because I'm pretty sure Lazarus wasn't just like, just let me die now. So the perceived denial through the delay, God overruled those things. And in John 12, we see why it's for God's glory. Flipping now to John 12, verses nine through 11. They are um, a week out just about from the Passover. And so a lot, a lot of times during this time, people start um, gathering their families and traveling towards um, Jerusalem or coming nearby. Uh, they don't, they had hotels, but it wouldn't be the, luxurious hotels in which we lavish ourselves with and so most times they would have probably stayed with family who live nearby it is a very big event and the law prescribes that there were if I'm not mistaken at least three feasts you had to attend so some are just attending out of um, obligation 
um, and to maintain their Jewish, um, what do you call it? Their Jewish, mm, you know, that standard of uh, where it's like, no, I'm a good Jew. I attend these three feasts. They, they want to maintain that um, facade, even if they might be dirty in their hearts. They, they would make the appearance of keeping the law, even when it wasn't kept in their hearts. And so now we have Jesus and he's big reclining with Mary, Martha, and the resurrected Lazarus. But in verse nine, we get that a large crowd of Jews learned that he was there at Bethany and they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to kill Lazarus also because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away from the teaching and the traditions of the Jewish leaders and believing in Jesus, following him as savior and Messiah. What if I told you the attacks that are amped up against you are because of your connection to Jesus? And he's going to deliver you from them. John 11 and 12 shows us the deliverance from death which is an unseen enemy, spiritual. Spiritual. And how do we know? Because Jesus will later talk about taking the sting of death from us for those who believe. So Father, in the name of the Son, Jesus, we thank you that no weapon that is formed shall prosper against us. Every time that shall rise against us in judgment, we will condemn. We will show it to be in the wrong. We thank you in advance for the peace, the righteousness, the security, and the triumph over all opposition. Because this is the heritage of your saints, O Lord. And in whom the ideal of you, Lord, is reproduced. We thank you for the righteousness and the, vindic vind oh my goodness, the vindication that we obtain from you that you impart. And I proclaim all those who would hear this message, your deliverance is on the way. Deliverance in health, deliverance in finances, deliverance to destiny. Deliverance to the fullness of God's best. Deliverance to youthfulness, vitality, length of days, joy. Everything that the canker worm has stolen will be recompensed and restored to you. It's on the way. This is the heritage of the saints. Now on to him who is not a stranger to our sorrows, our griefs, our cries for help. To him who is well acquainted with the pain, the torture, and being deserted and persecuted. To you be all the power, glory, honor, and adoration. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, amen. Good night and thank amen. you for your testimony. <laughs>